We want to thank you today for joining us at Truth Chapel's podcast. I pray this word would bring you life. I pray that it would edify you, encourage you, and enlighten you. If you have a moment, please subscribe and leave us a review. We will be so grateful. God bless, and let this word speak to your heart today. Let me turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, and chapter 11. The book of Acts, chapter 11. How many have been enjoying the book of Acts series? Amen. It's been very good. Amen. Acts 11 is uh, one of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts, and I'll, I'll show you why here in just a little bit. Um, it's an obscure chapter. A lot of people uh, don't read this chapter because a lot of people don't read the Bible. Well, amen. We read, we, we read what we like to read, and that's it. But uh, if, you, if you ever read uh, chapter 11, you'll, you'll see some really interesting things happening in chapter 11. God is so good. He's going to help us tonight with this word. If you have it, just say, I got it. Uh, and the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Remember, Acts chapter 10 was about Cornelius and his family received the word and received the Holy Ghost while Peter was preaching. And so now the apostles, the brethren that were all in Judea, they all heard about it. And when Peter was come to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision, that the Jews, contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. What are you thinking? What did you do? But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying. Now I'll read the rest of this in just a moment. But um, tonight we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts, and we're going to let the Lord speak to us from this chapter. Let's, let's have a word of prayer before we're seated. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and to be among your people. I pray now that you would speak to us from this word, that it would encourage us, it would grow us, it would mature us, Lead us how we should be led. And God will be careful to give you all the praise, all the glory for it. And the church said in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. Amen. Thank you for standing. So good to have some, some good friends from Mississippi tonight, Brother Stephen Gooden and his family. And we're blessed to have them all the way from right outside of Philadelphia, Mississippi. Amen. And uh, yeah, that's all, that's all right. Amen. Yes, sir. Um, Book of Acts, chapter 11, uh, this is directly following uh, the conversion of what would be considered, you know, biblically and historically one of the first moments that Gentiles received the Holy Ghost. We read in Acts chapter 10 that there was this uh, Italian by the name of Cornelius who loved the Lord, who gave alms, who gave to the poor, he prayed daily, and the Bible said that all of his goodness had come up to God as a, like a memorial. And God loved him so much, and God wanted him to have this truth so much that he, that he sent an angel. And the angel told him, go find Simon. And Simon Peter, he's going to tell you what you ought to do, that there was something that he needed to do other than just be good. And I, I kind of made this point last week that uh, a lot of people would say, hey, you know, I'm good, and so I do good things, and I pray, I believe in God, and, uh, and I'm good. So because I'm good, I'm good. Right. The goodness gets me in. I'm good, and so I'm good. But Cornelius was good, prayed, did all those things, and God said, no, there's something that you ought to do. There's, there's, a, there's something that you need to do. And so we know the story. Simon uh, Peter sees the, the, the vision, and he sees that uh, all of the different animals are let down, and God says, eat. He says, Lord, these are unclean animals. I've never eaten an unclean thing. Never in my life as a good Jewish boy have I ever eaten any of these things. And God said, listen, don't you dare call unclean what I've called clean. And don't call common what I've called clean. And so as, as Peter's trying to figure this out, there's three men standing at the door, and they're saying, hey, come. Uh, our, our leader, Cornelius, wants to talk to you. The Lord sent an angel. And so Peter determines that the Lord was showing him that vision on that rooftop for this moment. Peter goes, he preaches the name of Jesus to these people while he's preaching about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, because that is the gospel. That's always been the gospel. He came, he bled, he died, he rose again. 
as he's preaching that gospel, they receive the Holy Ghost. I mean, no, no altar call, no choir. Nobody had to come to the piano. They just got it. Boom. Whole family started speaking in tongues. We know they spoke in tongues because Peter asked the Jews that he brought with him, he said, should, should we baptize these? And they said, yeah, we, we definitely should baptize them because they received the Holy Ghost just like as we because we heard them speak with tongues. Because tongues is not the Holy Ghost, but it is the sign. Amen? It's, it's for a sign. The Bible will tell us that much later on in the book of Corinthians chapter 14 if you're interested. And so they, they, they hear this, they, they, this, this moment is unbelievable. They, they, they tell Peter, Peter, stay with us. Stay with us for a few days. So Peter does. He stays with them for a few days, probably teaching, admonishing, sharing with these people. They don't really know anything. And so he's just sharing with them, admonishing them, probably preaching to them, teaching to them, eating their food, staying in their home. He gets back to Judea and, or to Jerusalem, and they're like, hey, um, we want to talk to you about something. He said, well, what's going on? He, he's coming back from revival. He's probably excited. God's doing the work. Yeah. Here he meets his brethren, and his brethren say, we heard that you've been with Gentiles, and you, you've been with people of the uncircumcision, and we heard you ate with them. Wow. Now, isn't it funny that Jesus was accused of eating with them? Yeah. For he eats with sinners, right. and he eats in public. But now that God's doing a work in somewhere else, now they have the same exact problem with Peter. This is, this is one of the problems with good church folk is that we all forget where Jesus brought us from and we see other people out here and we're like, ah, you know, I just don't know about that. But no, God brought us from those same things, right? And how soon that these Jews forget what Jesus did for them because many of these Jews were sinners and publicans. Yeah. And Jesus reached to them when no one else would, when the religious of their time were saying, Jesus should have nothing to do with these people. And matter of fact, Jesus, why are you eating with them? Like Zacchaeus, who climbed the tree. Zacchaeus was not a Gentile. Zacchaeus was a Jew, but he was a publican. He was a Jew that had sold himself to the Roman government to collect taxes from the people, and people hated him. He was a short man, so he wanted to see Jesus. He climbed up in a tree so he could see Jesus, and when Jesus saw him, he said, come on down. I'm going to eat dinner at your house tonight. And they were like, oh, he's going to eat dinner with the publican. But that publican got saved, forgot what he was, and now he's mad at Peter that he ate with the Gentiles. Well, my. Amen. None of us can forget where we came from. The worst thing that can ever happen to you is you become a professional Pentecostal and get so saved that nobody else can be saved. Amen? And so, and so, so they're like, man, we don't... We, we, they, the, the Bible says that they, you know, they contested to him. They contended with him. This was a contention. They contended with him about this. What are you doing, Peter? What are you doing? You're going to these people? You're eating in their home? These people are of the uncircumcision. They probably offered you pork. Did you eat it? They probably did you offer food that was offered to idols. Did you eat it? Peter says, listen, let me tell you what happened. So the Bible says that Peter expounded to them by everything that happened. And he, he tells the whole story. I'm not going to read it all because you know it. He, he says, I, went, I was in Joppa. I saw a vision. The vessel descended. The Lord said, rise and eat. And then after that, I got up and there were three men at the door. And they came, and the Spirit told me to go with them, not doubting, because what did he say in chapter 10? I, I perceive that God is not a respecter of persons. Yeah. And he said, and, and as I begin to speak, this is verse 15 of chapter 11, he's, he's ending his story. He said, man, as I begin to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them, as on us at the beginning. They got it like we got it. So we know they got it because they got it like we got it. Now, if, if Peter makes it a point to let them know they got it like we got it, I don't want no other version of how they got it. Why should we be getting it differently in 2022 than what they got it? 
We don't want to do anything else differently. Amen and amen. I don't. I, I know I got it because I got it like they got it. If you don't want it like they got it, then, then you must not want anything else like they had. But they got it like we got it at the beginning. Then remembered I, verse 16, then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the light gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I should withstand God? So they're arguing with him about this. He said, let me tell you this story. This is how this happened. I followed the spirit. I was spirit led. I saw a vision. And they got it just like we got it. And I remember that the Lord said that John baptized us with water, but he was going to baptize us with the Holy Ghost. And it, just like God gave it to us, he gave it to them. And who was I that I could withstand God? Watch this in verse 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace. I mean, they shut up. That's what the Bible said. That's, that's, that's Greek for they shut their mouth. They held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen uh, traveled as far as Phinehas and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them that were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent for Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came, had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish, for to seek Saul. So now we're bringing Saul back into the picture. Remember, we left Saul. Saul was greeted by the Lord on the road to Damascus, converted, but he's been hanging out in Tarsus ever since. So, so, so he's been hanging out there, and the disciples are afraid to even talk to Paul or Saul at this time. Like, they don't want nothing to do with Saul. Because Saul was the one who was persecuting the church. And now, all of a sudden, he's supposedly saved. And they're like, we don't want nothing to do with Saul. So Saul's hanging out in Tarsus by himself. But Barnabas, we, we read before that Barnabas was the one who had helped Saul. So now Barnabas is in Antioch, and the Jews are in Antioch, and they've been pushed out of Jerusalem. All the Jews are now in Antioch. The Grecians are in Antioch. So we have a mixed church here in Antioch. And Barnabas decides, I'm going to go to Tarsus, and I'm going to get Saul, and I'm going to bring Saul to Antioch. So watch what happens. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul, verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians First in Antioch. So, let me just preach this for a little bit. This is, why, this, is why, this is one of my favorite reasons I love Acts chapter 11. Because what happens in Acts chapter 11 is we first, we, we, this is the first time in the Bible we see the word Christians. That's, that's what we all claim to be. But they weren't called Christians. No one called them Christians until Antioch. Antioch, they got the name Christian. What happened in it? Why is Antioch so special? Well, I believe that one reason why Antioch is so special is because you have a mixed church. You have Jews from Jerusalem, Grecians from Antioch, and they're all having church together. So you have a church of diversity. We're all in the same room. Not before. We would never be in the same room before. 
Before, we had problems with this. But now that the Italians have got the Holy Ghost and the Grecians have been converted, and now we're all here and together in one church, something's happening here. But not only that, Barnabas goes and gets Saul. And when Saul comes into the church, all these people from Jerusalem who know who Saul is, a year later, after they've received Saul, Saul's a part of the church. Saul has become a member of the church. The church has received Saul. They've let Saul's past be his past. They've let Saul grow with them. They haven't kicked Saul out. No one said, oh, no, Saul can't come. I'm not going to church with Saul because I know what Saul did. So I'm not going to church with Saul. But now you have a diverse church with people with broken past right in the middle of the church. And it's in that place that the people say, oh, these people are Christian. It's in the place of diversity. And it's also in a place of forgiveness. It's also in a place of mercy. It's also in a place of grace that we're first called Christians when there's a church of more than one group of people. And when there's a church of people that got some tattered past. When we can let Saul come in the door, that's when we can call ourselves Christians. Oh, hallelujah. When we can let other folks come in the door, that's when we can call ourselves Christians. Here's how Jesus said it. They will know that you are my disciples when they see your love one to another. That, that's when they'll really know that you're mine, when they can see, because we really couldn't tell it in Jerusalem because we was all one type of person in Jerusalem. And so we couldn't see it there. And we couldn't see it in Antioch in the, in the beginning because it was just all one. But the persecution of the church has now mixed us up. And we got Jews and Grecians and Italians, everybody in one room, we just chilling. And here comes Saul, and we should cook him out, but we let him in. And we let his past be his past. We say, man, we ain't worried about that. God touched you, you a new man, and we're going to let you be a new man. If God says you're a new creature, who are we to say you're not? And it was in that place, amen, it was in that building where they started calling them Christians. Mm. That's a good word. Thank God for Antioch. Thank God for Antioch because Antioch was the first church of diversity. Antioch was the first church where sinners were allowed to walk through the door. And in these days, verse 27, came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the, the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of of Barnabas and Saul. <laughs> so let me read verse 29 and 30 again for you in case you missed it. The disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief to the, the, the church that was being persecuted in Judea. And who did they send to give relief to the church in Judea? They sent the guy that started the persecution in Judea. My, my, my. Who they send? They send Barnabas and Saul. Mm. Don't, don't tell me that God can't use somebody tomorrow who he's working on today. Don't, 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 don't sit in here tonight and say, well, Pastor Chavis, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You know, I may come to church here. I may just show up. But I don't think God will ever use me because I've just, I got a tattered past. No, 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 no. Don't believe that. God may actually send you back to the place that you came from. God may send you back to the place you got delivered from. And he may say, there's a work for you back there that I still have for you. That's his good word. Acts 12, let's move on. Because I can preach on that all night long. Let's move on though. Now, <clears throat> now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword and because he saw that it pleased the Jews. Don't, don't, don't let that slip by you. Don't, don't, don't let that little nugget not get you there. The Jews like that. 
Who are the, who are the Jews? These are the people who are still sticking, sticking with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. These are the Jews that don't believe in Jesus, the Orthodox Jews. And so they see James die, and the Bible says they are pleased with that. And so when King Herod saw, oh, they like that. Let me do it again. He proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four. I hope I say this word right. Quartirians. Somebody say that word for me. Yeah, exactly. It was a lot of soldiers that he sent them with. Amen. He, he was going to keep him there, intending after prison to bring him forth to the people, or to, intending after Easter. Now, someone say, Easter? What's Easter? Because Easter is a pagan holiday that was only invented a couple hundred years ago. Not according to the book of Acts. See, I, I know where I'm at. I'm in Loganville, Georgia. And there's some people around here that don't believe Easter should even be talked about. But let me tell you what Easter was to King Herod. I'll tell you what Easter was to King Herod. To King Herod, Easter was the time that Jesus had risen from the grave. And he wanted to keep Peter after that because he knew there would be a celebration. He knew that the church would get together. They would celebrate because this isn't two years after Jesus died. This is almost 28 years after Jesus died. And there's a celebration happening called Easter. And he don't want to bring Peter before the people before Easter because that's going to be a big problem. They're going to be celebrating. They're going to be shouting. They're going to be going through the streets. They're going to have palm branches. They're going to be crying Hosanna. And I don't want to, I don't want to do this before that time. I'm going to wait till after Easter. Then I'll bring Peter forward. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, going, I'm not going to step on it tonight, but, but I'm just showing you it's in the Bible. So he, to, to bring him forward to the people, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now, this is one of the first and only times in your Bible, in the New Testament church, that the church has an organized prayer meeting to pray for a specific need. Right? So... Let me just, I, I just want to, I want to interject something right here because I believe that the church has become over-spiritualized and under-educated. We'd rather get together and pray for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, but not learn. Okay? The early church didn't do that. The early church prayed when there was a necessity to pray. Something going on, let's get together, let's pray. And I'm not, I'm not saying we don't need to pray. We need to pray more. We don't pray enough. All right? So if, if you want to know how I feel about that, we probably don't pray enough. The church needs to pray more because we got needs that we need to pray about. But there's a couple things that I don't really believe in. N number one is the warfare. You know, prayer warriors. And here's why I don't believe in it. Number one, because it's not the Bible. Number two, what that says is that there's people in the church that should be praying more than other people. That you have a gift of prayer. And, you, and, and, and I'm not a prayer warrior, so I don't go to prayer meetings. When, when we call a prayer meeting at the church, it's not for prayer warriors. No, no, no. It's for everybody who got a voice that can pray. You see what I'm saying? And, and, and I don't want to offend nobody because if you feel like you're a prayer warrior, baby, be a prayer warrior. Pray. Do your thing. What I'm telling you this is that there's no special spot for somebody that's a prayer warrior. Like, like God didn't give you the gift of prayer. A spe you, got, you, you got something special. Oh, he can really pray. Because what that does is it takes away from the context of prayer. And, and, and for us, it makes prayer something spooky. No, everybody ought to pray. And here's the deal. A lot of people don't pray because you can't pray like Sister Nadia. So you don't pray. But you know why Sister Nadia can pray like she pray? Because she prays. And you know why you can't pray very good? Because you don't pray. That's it. Well, she got a special gift. No, she just prays. 
She prays. She seeks God. She's good at it because she does it. You, you feel something when she prays because you're like, ooh, she's not praying. I feel something. Mm. You know why? Because she prays a lot. And you hardly ever pray. This is facts. What, what, what we need is to understand in the church that prayer is for every saint of God. And we all need to pray. We, we, we all need to pray. And the more you pray, the better you're going to get at it. And the, and, and the more you stay in that presence with God, the more connection you're going to have. Amen? It's, it's, not, it's not like it's a special thing for the, a special group of people. No, every, everybody in this room has the ability to pray and get in God's presence. But when you do it over and over and, and you have a discipline of every day and, and every time you got up, and, and all, then that's when something, hey, I, man, I, I feel something. When, when Brother Tommy prays, I feel something. That's because Brother Tommy prays. The church got together and prayed. Why? Because Peter was in prison. And the church said, you know what? We need to bind together because if one of us can put 1,000 to flight, two of us praying together can put 10,000 to flight. And there wasn't a group of people that stayed home because they weren't on the prayer team. Oh, come on, somebody. Pastor say, we're having prayer. We, you know, and people don't show up. Wait, it's just prayer. The, the prayer people are going to be there. No, everybody needs to be here. The whole church needs to pray. We all have the gift of prayer. We all have the ability to talk to God. And the church got together, and here's what happened. They prayed without ceasing. 24-hour prayer clock. We're gonna pray, we're gonna, somebody's going to be praying all the time. We're going to pray until something happens. They got together and they prayed. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. My goodness. He's sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side. Psst, get up. And raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself. Bind on thy sandals. So he did. And he said unto him, cast thy garment about thee and follow me. Get your clothes on. We're going. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw, he thought he was dreaming. He thought he saw a vision. You ever been sleeping in the bed and you dreamed that you got up and brushed your teeth and got dressed? <laughs> Don't lie to me. I do it all the time. Don't lie. You laying in the bed in between sleep and awake and you dream that you got up and you brush your teeth and you got your clothes on and you walk into the door and you wake up in the bed, you're like, golly, I'm still here in the bed. That's what Peter thought. Peter was like, man, I'm dreaming this. This is not really happening. This angel is not walking me out of this prison. This isn't really happening. He thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which openeth the to them of its own accord and they went out and passed on through one street and forthwith the angel departed from him and when Peter was come to himself he said now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel well you didn't figure that out when you got up between the two you didn't figure that out when you was walking through bars and now you know you didn't figure that out when the gate opened up by itself open sesame you didn't, you didn't figure that out. He said, now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel to deliver me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Here's what I've prayed for myself and I pray for everybody in this room is that not only will God deliver you from the enemy, but he would deliver you from the expectation of the people. Yeah. He delivered him from Herod, but he also delivered him from the expectation of the people. Sometimes it's more important to be delivered from what people think than what the enemy's going to do to you. Let me just say this right here. I want to I I make this, this, this very clear to you. Everybody in this room needs to know this. The first fight you will ever have will be with family. 
Say it one more time. The first fight will be family. It's biblical. It's all throughout the Bible. And everybody I know that has ever done a great work for the Lord, they fought family first. Whether it was actual blood relatives or church people. The first fight's always with family. Watch. Cain and Abel. Cain. Noah builds an ark to the saving of his house, but his own son betrays him. Abraham says, look, man, I'm, I'm about to go get out of here, go see a greater place than this. I'm going to bring my nephew with me. And his nephew sails him down the river. Joseph has a dream. His brothers say, let's throw him in the pit, see what becomes of this dreamer. Every story in your Bible. Every story in your Bible. You know what, me and you, we still believe that Moses threw the rod down turned the water into blood, put his hand in his coat, pulled it out, became leprous, put it back, became clean. We still think that God gave Moses all of those things for Pharaoh, but he didn't. That's Exodus chapter 4. And if you read the beginning of Exodus chapter 4, it begins like this. And Moses said, God, my brethren will not believe me. And Moses never threw his rod down in front of Pharaoh. I know you think he did, but he didn't. He, Moses never threw his rod down in front of Pharaoh. You know who threw his rod down in front of Pharaoh? Aaron. Moses never did. Because that, what, what, Moses, what God gave Moses wasn't a trick to prove to Pharaoh that he was who God called him to be. It was a trick to prove to his brethren that God called him to be what he was called to be. Yeah. David fought Eliab before he fought Goliath. Eliab tried to make him go home. His older brother said, go home, boy. You're a mischievous imp. Go home. It was his own brother. If, if David would have been swayed by his own brother, he would have never fought Goliath. But every, every ministry, every level will always be a fight with family. Some of y'all fighting family right now, and you're like, I don't understand this. But you better understand it. It's going to be okay. It's part of the process. It's okay. Because you know what God does when he, when he puts family in your way? You know what he does? He puts family in your way so he can see if you will ever have grace and mercy for the family. Yeah. He, he always puts family in your way because it tests your mercy. Because if, if, if Joseph would never have been betrayed by his brothers, he would never have been able to save his brothers. You see? And he looked at his brothers, and here's what he said. Joseph had so much spiritual maturity at the end of his life that he looked at the brothers and he said, you think you did this to me, but God did this to me. That's maturity. That's spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is when you look at people who hurt you and go, you didn't hurt me. God let you do that so that I could be the person that I am today. God let you hurt me. Because he was working on me. You, you, you had no power over me, but God let you do that. God let you so that I could be the person God needed me to be. God used you, and I'm thankful for it. Look, you can go to Thanksgiving this year. Hey! God let it happen. The Jews were the people who were the biggest problem to the church. but God's going to use them to save them. Watch this in verse 12. When he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And Peter knocked at the door of the gate, and a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she saw, when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, you're crazy. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were astonished. Listen, there's so much in this stuff right here. I could preach all night just on this one moment right here. 
is God opened all those doors but wouldn't open that one. Let me say it again. <laughs> God opened all them gates, broke all them chains, let the man walk through walls. He was invisible. Put the cloak of invis invisibility on him. God opened it all the way up to this place. But when they came to a door that the church should open, God wouldn't open it. The angel left him. He said, if you get through the next door, it'll be because the church let you in. Here's the deal. We, we can pray all night long that God opens doors, but there are some doors he will never open. The church from this side has to open the door. And you know, when we open the door is when we believe that the prayer has been answered. They didn't open the door because they didn't believe that God was actually doing what they were praying for him to do. They were terrified that it was a ghost. They wouldn't open the door, and, and this, this young girl, Rhoda, was so happy, she forgot to open the door. Here's the deal. It, it is easy for the church to get so excited that we forget to open the door, that we're, we're in here having such a good time. We're in here having a blast. We're, we're so happy that we forget that there is somebody on the outside who cannot get in if we don't let them in. Oh, come on, somebody. God, God help us that we don't get so happy. We don't get so excited. We don't sit around in here and slap high five and say, man, ain't we doing good? That we forget to let other people into the party. That Listen, that we was in here praying that God would bring. Oh, come on, somebody. I could preach all night tonight. We in here just having a good time, me and you, we in here praying, seeking God that he would send souls, and when souls are coming, we just so happy, we forget to let them in. We like, God's going to open the door. God's going to do it. No, God ain't. God's going to open the doors for them to get out of the bondage, but he won't open the door to let them in the room. Here's what happens. People come to church. They come to the altar. God sets them free from bondage. We clap our hands and say, man, didn't God do a work? But where are we opening the door for them to come in the room? God has set them free from drugs, homosexuality, brokenness, depression. God will do all that. I can't open them doors for people. But where's the door that we open to let them into the inner circle? Where's the door that we open to let them in the room with us? Where's the door that we open to say, hey, come on, come to dinner with me. Come to my house. What's your kids' names? Oh, come on, somebody. There's some doors that only we can open. That's a good word. That's a good word. I feel like running out. Yeah. When the church let him in, and the church finally let him in, they, they were astonished to see it was him. It's like, we've been in here praying without ceasing, and now God did it, and we're like blown away. <gasps> Can you believe God did it? Yeah. Watch verse 17. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. <laughs> what was become of Peter? And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should all be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and there abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain, their friend desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, set upon his throne, and made an or oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of God and not of a man. These people wanted the Christians to be wiped out so much that they would give Herod the voice of God. Watch this. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took, them, took with them John, 
whose surname was Mark. They took with them John, whose surname was Mark, and that's the house that the church was praying in when Peter got set free. My, my, my. A lot going on in Acts 11 and Acts 12. I'm going to end with this. Um, if I continue on, I'll, I won't stop. So I'm going to try to stop at a good time tonight. I want to I, I, I want to end with this going back to the story of Peter being set free. That there were so many doors opened by God. The door opened by itself. All the doors were open. But then the, the iron gate or, or, or the, the, the gate for the house that the church prayed in. God would not open that door. It had to be the church from their side to open the door. And the church, the church called Rhoda mad. The church called Rhoda crazy. They said, you're crazy. And it was her constant confirmation that finally convinced them. But at first, they thought that she had lost her mind. They, they thought that she had lost her mind for confirming or affirming something that they had been praying about, something, something they believed in, something that they trusted God to do. When she said it's done, they called her crazy. And, and, and church, tonight we have to be very careful because anytime we're talking about the book of Acts in the early church, there's always a type and shadow of the church now, always, because this is the birth of the church. And so if we're going to be apostolic. We have to look back to the apostles, to the book of Acts, to the early church, and connect these things to us. And for us, when, when we're believing, when we're praying for something, we need to be quick to believe that it's done. And, and there is a spirit in the church of unbelief and negativity. And those two things are not always separate from each other. They kind of coincide. They kind of walk hand in hand sometimes. The spirit of unbelief and negativity, you know, the, the, the spirit of negativity. That, that will, that when someone says, oh, this is going to happen, we automatically, maybe not even openly speak it, but mentally shut it down in our mind. Like, God's not going to do that. I don't believe that. That's too much. That's too far-fetched. But we've been praying for that. Like, that's what, that's, that's what, we, that's what we've been praying for. So we, sh we, we shouldn't be surprised that what we've prayed for is happening. Yeah. Now, now, here's the deal with the church is that we're, you know, we're here now, 2022, praying. But I guarantee you there's been prayers prayed in this city long time before Truth Chapel ever came here of people believing that God would open doors, that there would be revival, that there would be harvest, that, that, that God would do certain things, that there would be favor, that, 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 that God would, would work things out. And so, so here we are now. We're, we're not just standing on our own prayers. We're standing on prayers of people that prayed before we ever even showed up here. Right. Amen? Right. And so what we got to do is we have to turn off the spirit of unbelief and the spirit of negativity and say, you know what? I just believe that God's going to do it. And when we believe, that's when we open the door. How does the church open the door? We believe. The only reason that the church opened that door for Peter is because they finally were convinced that it was him. And in their convincing was their opening. And there's so many doors that we haven't opened yet as the church because we're not fully convinced that it's happening. We're not fully convinced that God is actually going to do it or has done it. And there's people that will say, man, let's, let's do this, let's do that. And the church will go, you're crazy. Or the pastor will get up and share a vision and people are like, I don't know if we can do that. That seems a little far-fetched. One thing I love about Truth Chapel, and from the very, very beginning, when, when, when I have cast vision in this church, the church unanimously has believed me. And I've, I've given you guys some crazy vision before. I remember telling you, we need no less than 30 acres of land. Y'all remember that? That vision Sunday? When I said God's going to give us no less than 30 acres of land, and before the end of that year, we were in contract. And paid that land off in four months. We had a, we, we, we a five-year plan and paid it off in four months. Why? Because the church said, oh, we believe you. And, and, and it was the belief that opened the door. 
You see what I'm saying? It's like, hey, I, I think God's going to do this, and, and, and God's going to make a way, and, and I believe that it'll happen, and I can say that all day long, but I'll just be on the outside knocking on the door. But when the church says, you know what, we believe it, that's when the door gets opened. When the church says, you know, we believe that. You know, you know we believe God will do it. And, and, and we're, we're sitting tonight in a vision. We're sitting in a vision that the way that this door opened was the church just believed that it could happen. Listen, I had people, friends of mine on the outside who don't go to this church saying, I think you're crazy. I don't, I don't know if I'd do that. Your church is too young. Your, your church is too small. Well, the bank's not going to talk to you because you're not 10 years old yet. We done, we done got three or four loans from the bank, and we still ain't 10 years old yet. When people told me that, I couldn't do it. When, when, when other people denied, even, even, place, even entities that call themselves Christian entities wouldn't even talk to me because they said, well, Pastor Chavis, we love you, we believe in you, but we can't give you this loan because you're not old enough yet. Because they didn't believe what God was doing. But when the church believed, that's when the door opened and God put right people in my way. Listen, I'll tell you how powerful it is, and, and I, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to show you that belief opens the door for the church. When we believe it, it opens the door. So the guy who gave me my first, who gave the church our first two loans with no red tape, I mean, just gave, gave, gave us a half a million dollars with no collateral. I mean, had to go before his bank board and convince them, I believe in this kid. Literally, had to convince the board, I believe in this kid, he, he can get it done. Just out the gate. And then when we found this building, he had to go back to that same board and say, hey, this this." This church has already paid off two loans. I, I think we should give them the, th this one. And they said, no. They said, no. We, we fought. Literally, the day that he got approval from the board, he said, listen, I got approval. We're closing in eight days. I had to cancel stuff. And then he died. Cancer took him. We started to get a loan to... to, to to renovate this building. I've, I, I vetted four contractors. I took the highest bidder because I wanted it done right, you know, as, as right as possible. It looks good. We dealt with a local bank because the, 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 the favor that God had given me with this man had passed on with him. He, he passed away. Cancer took him. And so I'm having a conversation with, the, with, with a local bank. We're, we're working things out. All of a sudden, they just turn on us. Literally. They say, hey, we can't do it. What do you mean you can't do it? No, they won't let us do it. Here's what they said. They said, we'll give you the loan if you'll get 25 of your members to co-sign. I said, man, you're crazy. I'm not, I'm not putting that on nobody else. I'm not putting that on people. That's wild. They said, well, we can't do it. They backed out. I'm like, Lord, only you know. But see, the church is behind the door believing. God's going to open the door. You know, God's going to open the door. So I get a phone call. Hey, hey, this is Chris. Hey, hey, what's up, Chris? Hey, you don't know me, but I'm the new bank manager that took over from this man that passed away. I said, yeah, okay, man, so, you know, good to, good to meet you. Yeah, we have a loan with you guys. And he said, um, I got a question. He said, there's a couple notes on my desk. He said, before Chip passed away, he gave me several things that I needed to do. He said, but he left two sticky notes on my desk. He said, one of those notes uh, is something about something that you don't care about. He said, but the other note says, take care of Court Chavis and Truth Chapel. He said, so I'm just calling you today to ask what do you need. He yet speaketh from the grave. I said, man, you ain't got no idea. I said, you got no clue what, what, what just happened. I said, here's what I need. He said, we're going to make it happen. He said, I'm a, he said, matter of fact, I got a board meeting on Thursday. I'm going to ask him about it. I, I think we can make it happen. And look what the Lord 
has done. Because the church said we believe. And they opened the door. Come on, somebody. The church, we believe. And when the church believes, the door opens. The doors that God won't open, the church can believe. And the doors will open. That's what God will do. That's what God will do. That's what God, remain standing, I'm finished. That's what the Lord will do. When the church says, hey, pastor, we believe with you. Now, if you, if you think I'm crazy, it may take us a while to get there. I'll have to keep on telling you, keep on telling you, keep on telling you, keep on telling you. But when you say, man, man we just believe it. God's already done all this. What, what else can God do? What else can God? In a few months, when I say, hey, guys, we're going to two services because we had 541 last Sunday. We don't know what to do with people. You know what I'm saying? Got, got, got my parking team about to pull the hair out. <laughs> and I say, hey, church, we're going to do this because we're going to grow. We're going to double it. We're going to flip it. I need, I, I need a church to say, hey, we believe it. And let's open the door. Open the door. Why not? Just open the door. Hey, we believe. Open the door. Amen. Mm. God's good. God is good. It's going to happen. We've been praying about it. It's going to happen. We all praying. The whole church praying. Believing. Harvest. Revival. God's going to make it happen. The door's going to open. It's, gonna, it's, it's coming. It's coming. Amen. Would you pray with me? We want to thank you again for joining us on the Truth Chapel podcast. May you have a blessed day and walk in the favor of the Lord.